The street was blocked with orange construction cones, and the sign read, Road Closed to Your Normal Way of Life. What do you do when life sends you on a detour? Detours disrupt our comfortable lives, but they also open new opportunities for us to seize the moment. The Christian life is lived one moment at a time as we seek God's direction in the detours. We pray, God answers. We respond to God's answers. Our response determines our next prayer and the next response, and on and on it goes through life. There was another road sign along a gravel road that stretched straight into the foreseeable distance. The road sign simply read, The Future, with an arrow pointing straight ahead. My friends, we dare not live in the past, and we cannot live in the future. We only live in the present. This moment is all we have. Seize the moment. Nehemiah illustrates this principle beautifully. He saw the broken world of his people, so he prayed to the God of broken worlds. God answered. How Nehemiah responds to God's answer will determine the course of his life. The book of Nehemiah is much more than a book about rebuilding some ancient walls. It only took about 52 days to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but the book itself spans about 12 to 15 years of Nehemiah's service as the leader of his people. It's a book about the renewal of broken lives and broken worlds. In renewal, timing is everything. When we face detours, we get frustrated because we are impatient to get where we want to be. When we fail, we want everything restored yesterday. We don't want to wait for God's timing. When sin has shattered our lives, it takes time to put the pieces back together again. Our problem is that we are impatient to rebuild the broken walls and burned-out gates of our lives. Someone has said that impatience is waiting in a hurry. Rebuilding our lives takes time. Spiritual renewal waits on God's timing. But we had better be ready to respond, to seize the moment, when God does answer our prayers. James Devine and his wife are in their second marriage with each other. On Friday, September 29, 2017, James came home from work to discover that his wife had left him. He never saw it coming. But as he soon realized, he was the problem in their marriage. James had to admit that he had an internet pornography addiction. If he wanted to save their marriage, he pretty much had to change everything about himself. The first step was to seek counseling. Today, James has over three years of being porn-free. He and his wife were re reunited after a two-month separation, but there was still a long road ahead. 
their first marriage had to be burned down to the foundation. James says, There are no more lies or secrets between us, just the bold, honest truth, even if it hurts. Our second marriage is characterized by an incredible intimacy that did not exist before. The first principle we learn about God's timing in renewal in the book of Nehemiah is when the time comes, be truthful. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 3. When the time comes, be truthful. Listen to what Nehemiah wrote. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why is your face so sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? It takes a great deal of courage to face unpleasant truths when you are beginning to rebuild your broken life. All renewal starts with acknowledging the truth, the reality of what is going on and the situation that you find yourself in at that moment. The truth can be a hard boss to face, the death of a spouse, the loss of a job or a broken marriage, and you must face the truth with courage. Verse 3 is one of the most courageous verses in the entire book for at least three reasons. Nehemiah's response is courageous because he knew to whom he was speaking. Nehemiah was speaking to King Artaxerxes I, who ruled over an empire of 127 provinces stretching from Greece to India, from the Red Sea to the Caspian Sea, and from Egypt to Afghanistan. Artaxerxes I was the third son of Xerxes, the king whom Esther married, although Esther was certainly not his mother. He was nicknamed Longamanus, meaning long-handed by the Greek historians, because his right hand was longer than his left. As Persian kings go, he was a nice enough fellow. He, we must remember that five of the thirteen kings in this dynasty were murdered, including Artaxerxes' own father, Xerxes. Xerxes was assassinated in his bedroom by a servant named Artabanus, who convinced Artaxerxes that his older brother Darius had done it. So when Artaxerxes was only 18 years old, he became king by killing both his older brother Darius and the servant Artabanus, because he couldn't trust either of them. Then he defeated his other brother in battle to secure the throne for himself. So, this is the man that Nehemiah, a Jewish slave, must speak to about, God, about what God was calling him to do. He was not a king who trusted many people, to say the least. My friends, the first step in renewal often requires us to speak the truth in very uncomfortable situations 
and in broken relationships. It will do no good to pretend all is well or to sweep the dirt under the rug. It takes courage to face the truth about ourselves and our situations and to speak the truth to those in power. Nehemiah was also courageous in his response because he knew from where he was speaking. He knew to whom he was speaking, and that can be very intimidating. But he also knew from where he was speaking. He understood what his position was in relation to this powerful king. Persian works of art that we can still see today in museums show us that when a person came into the king's presence, he had to show his respect by placing his right hand over his mouth so as not to defile the king with his breath. Breath mints had not been invented, of course. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, which meant that he was a servant. But he was a very important servant. The cupbearer was the one who would deliver the wine to the king, and when he would take the cup, he would first draw off some of the wine with the ladle and swallow it, so that if anyone had poisoned the wine, he would die instead of the king. So the cupbearer was a very high court position because he was not only in charge of the wine supplies, but he was also often in charge of the very personal business accounts of the king. He was probably a very handsome man, since the kings liked their court officials to look sharp, to look good. Nehemiah was well trained in court diplomacy and was very influential with the king since they often had close contact. All of this could be jeopardized by his request, since the king could quickly lose trust in him and either banish or kill him. The Persian kings were notorious for such dramatic changes with their personal staff. It was also true that the Persian kings did not want anyone to bring their personal problems to work with them. They didn't want to be bothered by the concerns of their staff, certainly their slaves. They wanted them to always be bright and cheerful. So Nehemiah's sadness was cause for alarm, says he was afraid. Because if the king noticed, it was serious. Nehemiah's response was courageous because he knew to whom he was speaking, and because he knew from where he was speaking. But the major reason why Nehemiah's request was courageous was because he knew of what he was speaking. God was calling Nehemiah to ask that he be allowed to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. God had placed Nehemiah in this position for just this purpose, and I'm sure he felt totally inadequate for the job. This was a courageous request because the work on the city had been stopped 13 years earlier by none other than King Artaxerxes himself. You can read the account in Ezra 4, 7-22. Some powerful political enemies of Israel had conspired 13 years earlier to accuse the people of Jerusalem of planning a rebellion against King Artaxerxes. They said that the people were rebuilding the walls because they intended to revolt and declare their freedom. 
Artaxerxes believed these reports and stopped the work on the city. He thought the Israelites were planning to rebel against his rule, and this was very believable in a day when he was constantly putting down revolts and executing his enemies. So Nehemiah was risking the king's displeasure since the king had stopped the work in the first place. He was even risking his own neck if the king thought he was planning a rebellion. God often puts us in situations that call for courage to speak the truth, even when we feel inadequate. It took courage for Nehemiah to be truthful when God's moment arrived for him to speak the truth. And it's the same principle in our renewal process today. Truth is a scary thought when your life has been shattered by previous failure and rejection. Facing rejection is terrifying. You will find all kinds of reasons not to bring up the truth if you think it might be rejected. But revival never comes without reformation. A reformation of truth, righteousness, and integrity is the foundation for all revival. Rebuilding never is accomplished without honesty. Sooner or later, in any rebuilding process, we must face the hard truth and seize the moment. God's timing is always perfect. And when the time comes, be tactful. Nehemiah 2, 4 through 6. When the time comes, be tactful. Listen to what happened next. Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. The coin of truth has two sides, and tact is the other side of the truth. We speak much about truth, but little about tact. Many glorify honesty at the expense of tact, but if we're going to rebuild relationships, we must be tactful. We can't just let it all hang out or speak our minds if we want the rebuilding process to be successful. It isn't enough to say what you think if you don't think what you say. Nehemiah precedes his answer to the king with prayer. Some have called this prayer an arrow prayer. You know what an arrow prayer is, don't you? An arrow prayer is one you shoot to God when you have little time to pray. It's not even a Twitter prayer because you don't have a time for 140 words. It's just, Lord help me, or Lord guide me. We shoot a prayer to God, then we speak because we trust he heard. I was traveling with a friend to a conference in Massachusetts when we saw a truck ahead of us with the letters G period, O period, D period. 
emblazoned on the rear and on the side of the truck. You may have seen these trucks before. They are delivery trucks, and the full sign reads, Guaranteed Overnight Delivery, 1-800-DIAL-GOD. Dial-GOD is what arrow prayers are. You see, there is a time when it is appropriate to fax God a prayer. But it is only appropriate if we are regularly in communion with God like Nehemiah was. Nehemiah has been praying about this matter for four to five months before this moment arrived. The arrow prayer shoots from a heart already devoted to prayer. I mean, why should God listen to my arrow prayer if that's the only time I ever pray? Arrow prayers are powerful only when they are based upon a solid foundation of regular communion with God. Now, I don't know the content of this arrow prayer, but I can make an educated guess. One of the struggles we have in life is recognizing God's answers to our prayers. Frequently, he answers our prayers by giving us an opportunity to respond, a door we must open. One of the keys to renewal is recognizing the door. The door is not usually wide open so we can see what's on the other side. The door is often merely ajar or even closed in front of us. We have to turn the doorknob and open it to see how God will answer the prayer. We have to pray something like this. Lord, is this your answer? Help me not to blow it. Then we grab the doorknob and open the door, never quite knowing what is on the other side of the door. Renewal begins, my friends, when we rattle God's doorknobs. After prayer, Nehemiah speaks tactfully. He doesn't just blurt it out. He speaks respectfully to the king. He acknowledges his position and submits to the king's decision. Remember that Nehemiah is in middle management, if you will, and it takes tact to contradict your boss's plan when you are in middle management. Many of us might have said something like this. Why am I sad? I'll tell you why I'm sad. I'm ticked off because 13 years ago a bunch of liars came up here and told you that Jerusalem was rebelling against you by trying to rebuild the walls of the city. These liars were political enemies of Israel. You didn't even check out their story to see that they were politically motivated. You stopped the work on this project despite the fact that King Cyrus, long before you, had decreed that Israel could rebuild the city. You never even heard our side of the story. You were duped by a special interest group, a conspiracy theory that was a complete lie. You want to know why I'm sad? That's why I'm sad. Now, all that was the truth. But the truth would not have been delivered with tact and would surely not have been very persuasive. All of you men and women in middle management, how far do you think that would get with your boss? Not very far, I'm afraid. As Dale Carnegie said, if you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. A shoe dealer was interviewing a prospective clerk, and he asked the clerk this hypothetical question in the interview. Suppose a lady customer asks, don't you think one of my feet is bigger than the other one? 
What would you say? The prospective clerk responded, I'd say, on the contrary, ma'am, one might be smaller than the other. He was hired. Tact means finding a way to speak the truth gently, and it's essential to success in any venture for the Lord, and certainly when we want to renew our lives, rebuild our broken worlds. Don't come into a church with a chip on your shoulder and expect to have any positive impact on the ministry. It will never work. Notice, however, the tact is never at the expense of truth. Nehemiah didn't say that he was going to take a vacation to look things over. He said that he was going to rebuild the walls of the city. And he made it personal, because it was the city where the tombs of his fathers were located. He was specific, too. He told how long he would be gone. In fact, Nehemiah was gone for 12 years because he was given the governorship of the region. The result was more than he could have expected. Tact doesn't have to be vague and misleading. That's dishonest and counterproductive. If you really want to rebuild your life on God's principles, don't talk in vague generalities and call it tact. Be clear and specific, but gentle and kind in your relationships, whether you're talking with a family member or in the church. God's timing is always perfect. And when God's time comes, first, be truthful. Second, be tactful. And third, when the time comes, be careful. Nehemiah 2, 7 through 10. When the time comes, be careful. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them them to me, because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. When I say be careful, I do not mean be cautious so much as I mean be prepared, have a plan, be meticulous, pay attention to details. One professor of communications at a Christian college says that Nehemiah knew something that many leaders fail to understand. If you get sloppy with details, you get sloppy with people. Planning is not unspiritual. Some people think that the Spirit of God only moves spontaneously. Not true at all. God planned for Nehemiah to be in this moment at this time. And God orchestrated his plan to perfection. I mean, think about it. Nehemiah's whole life had prepared him to seize this moment. God is in no rush. He set Nehemiah up for this opportunity.
Nehemiah developed a plan to complete the mission of rebuilding the city during those four to five months he had been in prayer about the matter. Prayerful planning is essential if we're going to rebuild anything in our lives. We must not enter into this restoration process haphazardly. Be careful. Have a plan before you get started. Captain Meriwether Lewis, along with William Clark, led the most famous western expedition to explore the country all the way to the Pacific Ocean. The Lewis and Clark expedition began with an act of Congress and much planning and preparation by Meriwether Lewis, including scientific, medical, and military preparations, along with a specially designed boat to navigate the Missouri River. However, the most important part of the plan may well have been a letter of credit dated July 4, 1803. This letter of credit authorized Captain Lewis to draw supplies from any agency of the United States government. The letter went even farther. It read, I also ask of the consuls, agents, merchants, and citizens of any nation to furnish you with those supplies which your necessities may call for. I, Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States of America, have written this letter of general credit for you with my own hand and signed it with my own name. Well, now that is planning for every possible contingency. Nehemiah had a plan. He wasn't sitting around twiddling his thumbs during those months while he prayed. He had thought through the ramifications of his request. He had prepared an answer for every contingency that the king might throw at him. He needed letters of safe passage through the provinces of the empire. He needed materials to build the city and the financial resources to accomplish the task. He needed the king's authority so that political infighting would not ruin the plan. In short, he had thought of everything long before God ever answered his prayer. James Boyce, the late pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, points out that surprisingly planning is often overlooked by Christians especially in trying to rebuild their broken worlds. The problem begins with a false sense of spirituality. It starts with the notion that God has told us to do this, so we don't need anything more than that. We just move out on faith. Someone asks, well, how are you going to do that? The Christian responds, I don't know, I haven't a clue. I guess I'll just start out and see how the Lord answers my prayers. But my friends, if you haven't a plan for what to do when God answers your prayers, then you won't have an adequate response to God's answers to your prayers. It's as if we consider it unspiritual or lacking in faith for someone to ask hard questions about how we will finance this venture or the details for working out the problems. But it is not a lack of faith to think. We need to consider what we are going to do and how we will get it done. We need to make good decisions based upon careful planning 
planning is a demonstration of biblical faith, not a lack of faith. In God's timing, we need to be careful. We need to have a plan for how we will move from A to Z, and we need to be ready when God opens the door, or we will miss out on the opportunity. So don't just sit passively in prayer without exercising the brain God gave for you to use. He will guide you in coming up with the plan. Otherwise, when God answers, you will not have a plan to implement in response to the answered prayer. Carl Allenby had a problem. It was his auto repair business. He'd started the business at age 19, working alone out of a rented bay in a friend's garage. Over the years, it had grown into two shops with 11 employees, but Carl yearned for something more. So he went back to school at age 34 to earn a degree in business management. After taking classes part-time over the next five years, Allenby was told he had to take a biology class to get his degree. Biology class rekindled a childhood dream that he had tucked away somewhere deep within himself and forgotten about. After the first day, I remembered this feeling of wanting to be a doctor back when I was younger, he said. Growing up in a poor African-American neighborhood, he faced low expectations and numerous barriers to pursuing his dream. His school didn't offer the advanced science classes that might have led him on a pre-med path. Even if it had, doing well in school could prove dangerous in his neighborhood. You could get into a lot of trouble just for being the class nerd, Alan B. says. There were often times you wouldn't carry your books home due to the threat of being jumped by someone. So he set aside thoughts of becoming a doctor in favor of a more realistic career path, fixing cars. But a different Carl Allenby walked into that biology class at age 39. With the support of his wife and family, he decided to skip business school in favor of the science classes he'd need for a second career as a health care worker. Becoming a doctor when he would be approaching the age of 50 seemed insane. He would instead become a nurse, a physician assistant, or a physical therapist like his wife, he reasoned. However, one of his professors encouraged him to pursue his dream of becoming a doctor. And so, in 2015, Allenby cut ties with his past. He auctioned off his two shops and everything that was in them. I sold my whole life in a matter of hours, he said. It was liberating. Then he started at Northeast Ohio Medical University. In 2019, at the age of 47, Carl Allenby became Carl Allenby, M.D. He took a job in emergency medicine at Cleveland Clinic, Akron General. Are you ready for a fresh start? Has God rekindled a dream in your heart that you had long forgotten? Do you sense God renewing your spirit with his goals for your life? Remember, my friends, in renewal, timing is everything. As the saying goes, be patient, 
You get the chicken by hatching the egg, not by smashing it open. Wait on God for his timing and then seize the moment by God's grace and for his glory. You may have prayed about something for so long that even your prayers have receded into the background of life. But God often surprises us with a fresh opportunity when we least expect it. Are you ready? How you respond to God's answers to your prayers at that moment will determine where you go after that in his service. You cannot run ahead of God, but you must not lag behind him either. Be ready. When the time comes, seize the moment. <laughs>